Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. On the podcast today, we look at the effects of the pandemic on children and young people, as well as what you need to know about the July stimulus package. I'm glad that we could agree on the necessity for stimulus, but I have to tell you that the package uh, as a whole lacks ambition. It's actually very disappointing. I know that for many, many people, you know, the quarter of a million jobs that rely on tourism and hospitality will be looking at this package and will be pretty underwhelmed by it. That was Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald giving her reaction on what she expressed as a stimulus package lacking ambition as the Irish government published €7 billion euro worth of economic incentives yesterday evening. Paul O'Donoghue from the Times Ireland edition will be here with me to go through everything you need to know on how the package will affect Ireland over the next nine months. And then later on in the podcast, I will be speaking to Emer Smith, who is a research professor at the Economic and Social Research Institute. Emer co-authored a report published by the ESRI and the Department of Children and Youth Affairs looking into the effects of the pandemic restrictions on children and young people. The really interesting report looked at all aspects of how the pandemic has impacted people's lives, particularly family and peer relationships, health, well-being and education, and some of the results highlighted just how difficult these past few months have been, particularly for those in disadvantaged or vulnerable living surroundings. First though, in my conversation with Paul O'Donoghue, I began by asking who exactly will be the beneficiaries of the government's 7 billion stimulus package announced yesterday. Yeah, well I suppose the package seems to be kind of trying to cater uh, cater for everyone, you know, small bits kind of here and there for, for pretty much everyone and trying to keep a lot of people happy. Um, probably the most important measure in the package is the extension of the pandemic unemployment payments and the wage subsidy scheme. So these are two schemes which kind of support the incomes of, you know, people who might otherwise be out of work due to the pandemic. They're both being extended up until April. So that's going to affect hundreds of thousands of people. So that's probably one that a lot of people would have been concerned about before. For kind of generally, the VAT rate is being reduced. Uh, so that's from 23% to 21%. So that's like a tax that applies to goods like food and drink. So that's a measure that's going to apply to pretty much everyone. And then there's kind of a range of supports and answer businesses as well. So, you know, there's like trainee schemes. Um, there's like waivers of commercial rates, that type of thing. Um, and then, of course, there's the um, there's kind of like a tax rebate that's on offer for people who are holidaying in mm. Ireland this year. So, yeah, I mean, there's kind of like a, a lot of measures in there. I think there's about 50 announced in total. So there, there's kind of a couple of small things that are kind of aimed at everyone. One of the biggest changes was that the temporary wage subsidy scheme is now being replaced by an employment support scheme. Do we know in what way that's going to differ from the wage subsidy? 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just like a rejigged version, or I suppose a renamed version of the White Swords scheme. Uh, so the, the kind of main difference for uh, businesses, which are kind of the ones who are going to be handling the scheme, so the way the wage subsidy scheme worked was basically employers got paid a certain amount per week um, per employee. Um, so previously that amount, the maximum amount was set at 410 euros per week. Uh, that's now being reduced down to 203 euros per week to bring it in line with job seekers' benefit. So that's really the, the key difference uh, for businesses. We also saw some increased and additional services and supports being introduced for those who have lost their jobs due to the pandemic. Do you know anything about these and what additional ones have been brought into play? Yeah, so um, I suppose kind of the main one there for people is that um, there are, I think it's something, almost 50,000 training scheme places apprenticeship places, those types of things um, that are being offered now for people who might be out of work. Um, So the government has said that these schemes are going to be kind of aimed at training people up and specifically with you to developing skills kind of in tech and I suppose kind of climate change and the environment and kind of renewable industries. Um, So they're, they're probably the main ones that people who are out of work due to the pandemic would be looking at. What has the overall response been to this announcement? I saw Pierce Doherty saying that the package lacked ambition. Was that geared at anything in particular? I don't think it was geared at anything in particular. Um, I think, I think as I said before, the, the package, it's kind of like geared at giving a little bit towards everyone. But by virtue of doing that, it means it doesn't really make any one group in particular all that happy. Mm. So, like I said, there's, there's kind of a lot of small things in there, um, you know, things that'd be supportful a bit for businesses, uh, things that would be supportive a bit for the tourism industry, like the kind of stay and spend uh, incentive for domestic tourism. The VAT rate will be a bit of a help, but again, it's a fairly small cut. So it's a criticism that has been leveled not just by Pierce Doherty and Sinn Féin, but also by um, a lot of business groups have been saying the same thing. Uh, John Moran, the former Secretary General of the Department of Finance, has been saying the same thing. Basically, they're saying that the package, you know, while it's not doing a whole lot wrong it, it just might be kind of lacking in ambition and rather than doing kind of lots of these small measures so like i said i think there's about 50 in total mm. rather than doing lots of kind of small measures that all kind of tweak things here and there we should be kind of you know going all in and, and kind of big and bold on a couple of big ones which this package doesn't really do tonish de liavraker stated that part of the decision to extend both the wage subsidy and the pandemic payments were with brexit in mind did he give any more detail on this he didn't really get a huge uh, amount more detail on it, to be honest. Um, I think I think it's probably just to do with the timing um, in that, so at the minute, the UK, they've officially left the uh, European Union, but they're kind of still playing by um, EU rules, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of set to end at the end of this year, so uh, December 31st. So I'd imagine kind of what that's in reference to is they don't want hundreds of thousands of people potentially coming off the wage subsidy scheme and the pandemic unemployment payment just as Brexit hits. And there there is still the potential there for a no-deal Brexit, which would be worse again for the economy. So I'd imagine that's probably why they extended out to April, because they don't want to have lots of people coming off these schemes, um, potentially, uh, as we face into a no-deal Brexit. And finally as well, the package has been forecast at a £7 injection, but does this already include what has already been pumped into the economy and for COVID payments so far? Um, It's not that it includes money that's already been spent, but the criticism has been that it includes certain measures that have already been announced. Mm. Um, So, yeah, you referenced the £7 there, but kind of a couple of people have pointed out 
that this includes a scheme which was announced about a week or two ago, a €2 billion Euro scheme for uh, small and medium businesses. These are government-backed loans. So that's just one example there. So that's €2 billion out of seven already gone, mm. which has kind of already been announced. So there are kind of a couple of measures like that, which while it's not money that's already been spent, uh, a criticism has been that this is either stuff that's already been announced or there's a couple of measures there that aren't going to kick in for a few months or the spending is kind of stretched over a long period. So again, another criticism that people have had is that, okay, you know, this is kind of spending over whatever period, a couple of months, but we need this now. Emer Smith is a research professor at the ESRI and co-authored a new report into how the pandemic has affected children and young people's lives in a variety of ways. Although broadly I feel children have escaped the immediate health risks of COVID-19, in what other ways have the pandemic impacted their own physical health? In terms of their physical health, we have seen the suspension of elective procedures during the height of the pandemic restrictions with some resumption now. So what that means is that we saw a very dramatic decline in emergency department attendance among everybody in April, but especially among children and young people. Attendance halved among adolescents. The other issue is that more disadvantaged groups of children and young people are more likely to have long-standing conditions or illnesses. And there would have been challenges then during the restrictions in managing those. And as things resume, waiting lists will have grown longer. And that will disproportionately affect the more disadvantaged groups who don't have access to private health insurance. Is there any way in telling what way we're at now, where we're kind of in this weird middle ground, potentially between our first wave and what might be a second wave? Those figures aren't available yet. What information is available would indicate that waiting lists have grown. My understanding is that not all elective and and preventative services have resumed. I know cancer screening, for example, is to resume shortly. So we don't have evidence yet on how that waiting list has been tackled, but capacity is down in the system as a whole because of physical distancing requirements. So it is likely to to kind of continue to grow. Have children's diets been affected from the break from school and other activities? And what might that tell us about the importance of routine for children? Well, in terms of diet, we don't have information on children, but you have good information on their parents. And certainly at the height of the pandemic restrictions, we saw an increase in comfort eating, if you like, in the consumption of junk food and sweets on the part of parents, including households with children. And as a result, a month later, the CSO found that uh, quite a significant proportion, around half of households with children, reported weight gain. So given that diet is generally common within households, we would expect the same pattern to hold for children, that there would have been some kind of worsening, if you like, of dietary effects. Again, we have very mixed results for adults on physical activity, uh, with about over a third increase their exercise, over a third uh, decrease their exercise. But we expect the kind of patterns to be unequal for children because children from more disadvantaged backgrounds are less likely to have access to a garden or to have a safe place locally to play in. They're also kind of uh, constrained in terms of access to paid for activities even when they resume so be more dependent on school-based activities. And as you mentioned a lot of the time with children their own activities mirror their parents was that reflected in the research at any other parts? Very little has looked at kind of parental activity and child activity during uh, the pandemic and that's been a gap there are lots of gaps there but we would expect that we would see some of the adult patterns mirrored in children 
But in fact, we might expect some of the changes in physical activity to be greater for children, partly because a lot of their physical activity is around team-based sports, which were suspended for the duration of the restrictions. And secondly, because at their interaction with peers, so kind of unstructured sports would have fallen back as well. For many families around the country, their own dynamics shifted a huge amount during lockdown. I know for a lot of families, close personal time amongst one another was significantly increased. Was this a positive experience for most children we know, or is there any research to tell us otherwise? There are positive aspects. Almost half of adults said they were positive about spending more time with their family. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, though, we saw a very marked increase in reports of domestic violence during the period of restriction. Adults also reported a decline in satisfaction with personal relationships. And, and international research shows there was a very significant double burden for parents, especially mothers, in trying to combine working from home with childcare and homeschooling. Do we know why there was a disparity in terms of gender in relation to having those defined roles within the household? Because it was mirroring the kind of pre-COVID patterns that we know from pre-COVID that, uh, you know, women tend to bear more of the housework, the childcare time. There were very significant disparities in time. So it was really just, if you like, an exacerbation of, of that inequality. For families lucky enough to have grandparents alive and have that relationship, they also had to develop into a new relationship for the duration of lockdown. Is there any results on how that might have affected, say, a family's routine throughout the week or how people might have had to adapt because of that? Well, we know from pre-COVID patterns that there was a very high level of contact between children, especially kind of children in middle childhood, say around the age of nine and their grandparents or extended families. And there was even higher levels of contact for more disadvantaged groups. So they would have been affected by that disruption. Then secondly, we know that a lot of parents are dependent on their own parents, their child's grandparents or extended families for childcare as well. So again, that was cut off during COVID. But nobody's actually looked at the extent to which, say, grandparents were able to kind of use social media to interact with their grandchildren and so on. That hasn't been looked at yet. Speaking about social media as well, how did the sudden shift towards digital impact, I suppose, children's relationships with their peers? Because I think many of us assume that kids are now all digital natives, so possibly the transition for them mightn't be as difficult as, say, it was for their own parents. There's some online surveys that show an increased uh, screen time for children, but we're not sure what kind of screen time. The issue would be also the age of the children, because very young children aren't going to be able to use social media in the same way. And older adolescents are really dependent on their friends as a source of support. And I wonder if that would transfer in the same way, a digital way, as it might in a face-to-face contact. One thing that the pandemic did bring to light and probably give, I suppose, more airtime to was issues around mental health in Ireland. Is there any findings in particular that shows the strain that the pandemic and, I suppose, lockdown and everything that went with it had on young people or children within the country? Most of the research is focused on adults. Um, International studies and Irish studies have shown very significant increases in depression and anxiety during the period of restrictions. And the increase was greater for younger adults. On on that basis, we'd expect that children and young people would have been affected in in the same way, but also they would have been affected in an indirect way. They would have been affected by any stress or anxiety or depression experienced by their parents. Because we know from previous studies and and previous recessions even that young people 
are very influenced by their parental well-being, especially mothers' levels of depression. And that has a strong link to children's socio-emotional well-being. What do we know, I suppose, from other large, say, either social health or economic catastrophes that have taken place in the past in terms of how long some of the mental baggage or grief can stay with those affected? Now, the scale of what we're going through is probably unprecedented, but there is evidence from other disasters or traumas like Hurricane Katrina, 9-11, and these studies point to very long-term effects on children's anxiety levels. So in terms of their socio-emotional well-being, if we don't put the support in place, we are likely to see a longer lasting effect. And also the duration of that impact will partly depend on how deep and how long this recession is because of the influence of financial strain on child well-being. If Ireland were to face into a second wave of the virus and I suppose digress into some of the more stringent measures, which we saw back in April and May, What could we learn in how we'd approach that form of lockdown with children and young people in mind? I think we need to be paying much more attention to their mental health and well-being than we were. I think possibly schools are a little better prepared, but there's still a kind of real need for resources. And what the pandemic showed was kind of a social inequality, but also a digital divide. So I think we can learn some things, but I would hope that we would get schools back in a full time and full cohort basis, because otherwise we're just going to see huge inequalities in terms of social background and also between young people with special educational needs and their peers. Is a blended approach to learning where it might be, you know, some on-site learning and some digital and online learning not something that you would advise, I suppose, for the long term? Do you feel that an approach where kids are in class for the majority of the time, a better way to approach it? Yeah, I mean, I think it is around the the kind of the in-person education. I think for the reasons I've outlined around uh, growing inequalities, but also because core to educational development is the relationship between teachers and students. So we've found for decades now that uh, children and young people are really responsive to the quality of interaction they receive from teachers and that's a very important part of their education it's not just about the lessons it's it's about that interaction piece and their interaction with their peers as well there are also schools are arena for a lot of other activities cultural activities sports activities and so on So I think it's an absolute priority that we get those reopened. That was episode 37 of Viral COVID-19. Join me next week for more news and info on Ireland's response to the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll talk to you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 